0: It is Palm Sunday, and I'm going to go in straight into reading the scripture. Um, just as a reminder, this next week is Easter. Um, so yeah, let's jump right in, and we'll read the story. Luke 19:28 through44. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clo- cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And, uh, and of course, in other trend, other, all the other uh, accounts of this story, they didn't just spread their cloaks, but they waved the palm branches. Oh, I think it's coming, actually, if we keep reading. When when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said if you even had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side they will dash you to the ground and the children and the children within your walls they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Okay. So that's the story. A number of years ago, um, my kids were at the school called uh, Mockingbird Elementary. And it was really profound. It was just a miracle for us that our kids got into this school. We were, um, you know, living in um, our, we have lived in, now this is our second house in Dallas, but it was our, First house in Dallas at the time, and we were going to put our kids into public school. And the school that was in our neighborhood was really, really low performing school. And so there's only a few schools in Dallas that have um, really that are really well performing. And uh, we wanted one of, one of our kids in those schools. Now the state of Texas gives you a chance to transfer your kids out of a low performing school, but um, everybody wanted into this particular school. So that really wasn't like, it really wasn't going to be an easy thing. In fact, when, when Grace was in kindergarten, we tried to get her into the school and one other and complete failure, didn't work. And so we kept her in the daycare kindergarten that she was at just to get it by one more year. And long, I won't make... Big point of it. Long and short of it is, is that God like really miraculously showed, spoke some things to us, showed them some things, and and He helped us get Grace into that school, which also in turn would get our other kids into the school automatically. And so it was a really big moment of favor. And the Lord actually built a lot of relationships through that. The cool thing about Mockingbird was, I, I grew up in the suburbs and in a Christian school, particularly. And in the neighborhoods I grew up in, most of the people were Christian. And in Mockingbird, we were there for a few years, and we didn't, fa- we didn't actually meet another Christian family. And so it was just a really like amazing experience for us, connecting with people, and God built a lot of friendships, and friendships that were outside of the church world. Um, a few years in, we had this conversation with a friend of ours who were moving their kids into this new startup Christian school called Classical School of Dallas. And we had a couple of things. How many of you ever gone on this journey of prayer with God where he starts like highlighting things to you? And there were just like a couple of little keys like maybe this is going to be something interesting to us. And so we were. exploring it part of this school was that you would do part of the schooling at home and so that was a little stressful for us and so we're driving we're actually I think it was on the church ski trip yeah it was we're driving on the church ski trip and we're going to Colorado and we got to stop and get gas and I missed the main exit to stop and get gas which if you know me is not surprising like I I I've probably run out of gas more than most people. Like, I'm just can be a little bit absent minded at times. And so we, we do this U turn and we pull into this like really small, if you do like big, the big long like drive to Colorado, there are these enormous gas stations that are built for people on that road. Um, but I, we pulled into one of the small local gas stations that, you know, maybe eight pumps. I don't know. I think it was probably eight pumps. And Andrew and I had 30 minutes before on this drive, we had said, okay, like we were really considering praying about if this school if God wanted us to move our kids to the school um and one of the reasons was they didn't even have a single christian friend it was something that we were exploring and we were okay with but a little bit concerned about and so we said God if you want to do something like we just we need you to make it clear so that we prayed that prayer about 20 30 minutes before and i Turn, I was at that gas pump, and I'm filling up my gas, and I hear this this behind me. I hear somebody say, Jordan. And I turn around, and it's my friend John, who's one of the, the families that helped the first year get the school together. They were, in the, they were in the first year of the school. I was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is a really small school. 30 minutes before, I'm like, God, show us a sign, and I turn around, and my friend is calling my name in this tiny gas pump in the middle of Amarillo. um, And he's like, Jordan, what are you doing? And I have this conversation with him that we're considering putting our kids in CSD. And what the scripture ends with is they did not recognize... The time of God's coming. They did not recognize the time of God's coming. And I want you to know that God is, a, he is the God of time. Like he created it. And he's also a God of timing. One of the assumptions that we make, which is not a good assumption, is that as followers of Jesus, is that if we could just rightly absorb all the principles of the kingdom, we will be able to partner with the work of the kingdom and with God. But God is the one who weaves intricate beauty in perfect timing. Galatians 4 says, it that about, says this about Jesus in four, verse 4 through 5. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. At the perfect time, Jesus comes onto the scene. So when we come to Palm Sunday, when we, like, I believe that Jesus came, not only was He born at the perfect time, not, not only did he follow God in everything that he did, but that he actually enters into the city of Jerusalem in the perfect timing. Being a people of the Spirit means recognizing the timing of the Lord. People who are people of the Spirit don't just memorize principles. They remain continually sensitive to the Spirit and to His leading. Can I get an amen on that? God God has invited us not just to live on principle, but to live our lives led by the Spirit. I want you to look at this other interaction with Jesus and his brothers. In John 7, verses 3-6, through Jesus' brothers said to him, they're talking about going to Passover, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. They want him to go up to the Jerusalem, to Judea. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. God is a God of time time. And timing, amen so this uh, little bit of a announcement into the middle, in the middle of the sermon after Easter, we are going to this will continue out our time of house church to up to uh, Pentecost. We are going to be focusing on the beauty of the spirit life, the beauty of the spirit life now um how many of you, if you if you go back five, ten years, how many of you were here five, six, seven, eight years ago? Raise your hand. There, were, I used to quote this guy named Bill Johnson weekly, maybe multiple times a week, and um, no 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 shame in doing so. And one of the the things that was happening during that season was that. God used this, this particular ministry um, to shape our lives, this community's life in the things of the Spirit. And it was a really, really important season. I had a dream. I think this, this, was, this had to have been eight years ago. I don't know the time, seven, eight years ago. But I had a dream that in, in my dream, I was at Bethel, which is in Northern California, Reading. And Bill Johnson comes up to me. He prays over me. He says, my mantle has come upon you. And Bill, in this dream, is, it's Bill, I don't know if you've ever had dreams. Things just make sense in dreams that sometimes don't make sense in reality. In the dream, Bill is 100% Bill, but he's also 100% this other person that I don't yet know. And so they, he, it's like he's both of these people, but he's Bill in the dream, if this makes sense. And, um, so I, anyways, I'm, I'm, uh, I wake up from the dream and I know immediately what the Lord was speaking to me in the dream was he, he he'd said, what I wanted to do here, I have imparted into your life. And. You're going to have to go out and draw from other people from other streams because I've imparted the thing I've intended to impart. I was like, okay, that's cool. And fast forward, let me uh let me fast forward you through a lot of stuff. We, you know, there were there were a lot of ups and downs. We were part of this group. Um, we were part of this group of pastors, and in this group of pastors, they were connected to the kind of the larger stream that was that 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 ministry and a number of these pastors that were my age it was just like over a couple of years were like having affairs and having major fallouts or having major issues of integrity and it was just like all this just incredible fallout and and one of the people that i was ver- that i was that i initially connected with was this he was the other person in the dream i didn't hadn't met him at this point But he was the guy in this dream. It was my friend and Bill in the dream. And this guy had an amazing ministry. He had things that were really profound happening. And just incredible numbers of people getting saved and miracles. And long and short of it is, he had this enormous collapse where just deception after deception, after deception, and not like following the Lord, not repentant, like total collapse, broke apart his family, broke apart his ministry, just absolute collapse. And I remember the Lord speaking to me about this dream later on. And he and he said to me, like, like, if you if you ever followed Bill, he's a very like pure person of integrity, like that's kind of one of the things that people think of. The Lord Lord showed me later on, He said, I wanted you to learn wisdom from the purity of this and from the brokenness of this. It wasn't just from the good. It was also from the broken. And, And so through that, God opened my life, our community, opened to a wider wisdom, opened to other streams and ministries and things that God was working through. But he does so in specific timing. And the, the fun thing is, how many of you were here way back when Will Hart came? Or you know Will Hart. We, he's like the—he's one of the guys that uh, I met through this movement that I've stayed friends with the whole, this whole time. And so when we do our life on the beauty of the spirit life, the second week, so two weeks after Easter, he's actually going to come and preach and share testimonies of, th- of miracles that God's doing around the world. And he's going to pray and we're going to believe God to do incredible things. Um, but God does things. I just say all that to say, like sometimes we have this idea of how we think God is working and where he's taking us, but he is a God of time and timing. And he will surface things into your life and into our lives and into the world at the right time and timing. Um, oh, where's my, where's my apple over here? Apples, great example, metaphor for time. Apples, when they get ripe, do you know what they do? Somebody tell me what happens when an apple gets ripe. It falls off the tree. That's right. Some fruit, you have to go pick it off the tree. When an apple gets ripe, when it gets to the perfect time for an apple, it falls off the tree. So I was, uh, a number of years ago, I was, I was list- watching this. Sometimes I get, like, interested in random things. I was, like, watching this documentary, of this man who was following the last nomadic hunter-gatherer tribe in the world. There are nomads left and there are hunter-gatherers, but there aren't nomadic hunter-gatherers. He was following the last one left. There were 70 of them that still live this way in the Thai jungle. And they would. Um, their way of life was that they would hunt for a specific, I can't remember what it was, a specific animal. And when they didn't kill that animal, they would turn they would cure this bark from a tree into this substance that they would eat and it was almost entirely a carb and so they would they would either live off the protein for this animal or off the off this this curated bark from the tree and so it was all these things i was i was learning from that but one of the like the most duh obvious thing that i w- that i didn't think of living in modern times is how many of you have ever gone to store and not found an apple like, w- our ancestors would have to eat fruit in or eat things that were in the timing and seasons of the year or in the seasons of life. Like, you would have people who would get a kill or you would have farmers who would grow. Like, if you start gardening, you will learn there are things that grow in the sun, summer. There are things that grow in the fall. There are even a few things that grow in the winter. There's some things that grow in spring. You don't, like 200 years ago, you ain't showing up to Sam's with the apples out of season because fruit grew in time and in season, and people had to eat things dependent upon time and season. Because the way that nature works is that God is a God of time and timing. Are you with me? And we are in our lives. Very disassociated and disconnected from this reality that 's very obvious in nature because you go to the store and choose whatever the heck you feel like eating that week or whatever you want to perpetually eat like that like that is our way of life, but God is a God of time and timing, and it 's actually really, uh, it's something that's a big struggle for us because we don't, we're just not connected with how the seasons of the earth yield certain things in time and timing. So when Jesus went into the city, like he went into the city in a way in this season that was very public. Like he went from, he shifted from Dodging Jerusalem and telling people not to go talk about the miracles, to walking to going openly down the middle of the street on top of a cult, letting people worship him and praise him. Are you with me? Like there is a shift in the timing of the way that Jesus is doing ministry when he comes into Palm Sunday. It's just, it's just different. His presence went from calculated. He did have crowds at times, but he he was careful about Jerusalem. He was careful about causing too much commotion. He went from calculated to completely out in the open with what he was doing in Jerusalem, which is the most key city for for Israel. So, I just I wanted to paint these different pictures of time because it's hard for us in our world, we don't deal with seasons as much. We, even get to, like, we don't even deal with seasons in the fact that we get to go inside and sit inside the air conditioning and the heat. Like You might be like, oh, it's cold outside, but you just go inside. And that's just not the way all of human history, things were dealt with. So I want to ask this question. What is the thing that Jesus is allowing to come to full ripening when he comes to the city, what is he allowed? What is he allowed to come into full bloom so that, like the, that the apple falls off the tree? Are you with me? So first thing, let's look at the picture of the things happen in this text. It talks about the cloaks, but in the other examples of Palm Sunday, it talks about the palms that they waved. Now, the other time in in Israel's history that palms were waved is. This uh, revolt that happened about 200 years, which is accounted for in all these historical texts, but there was Judas Maccabees who who helped Israel overthrow their, the the Greek power over them, so that they could have autonomy as a nation again. Like that, the last time that palm branches were waved around was Judas Maccabees coming back into Jerusalem as the victor. Of the one who had overthrown the tyrannical like Greek um, ruler over them. And so when when the people see Jesus coming into the city. And they're praising God for the miracles. And they're, and they're, they're saying like look at all the wonderful things that God has done. They are worshipping with a metaphor. They are worshipping with a picture. They're worshipping with something that harkens them back to their own like their own nation having overthrown a power and having autonomy again. You tracking with me? That's that's the image that the people are using. That's the image that they're worshiping with. They're hearkening back to a time when a little m messiah brought deliverance and victory over the big empire. But what is Jesus? I want to talk to you about this symbol and the pictures that Jesus uses. Jesus deliberately has his disciples go find a colt or a donkey. And this is so weird. In all the gospels this is stated one it says a colt and in one it says a donkey and I think two it says a donkey and a colt. So I don't know if he's riding in like laid back on a donkey and a colt or what is happening, but it's either a donkey or a colt, maybe both. But here's here's the picture. Like a donkey is something that is used for work. Like when Jesus preaches Ungalion, that's the word for gospel. It's, it's the word that was used at the time when Rome would go conquer like some distant land and they would come back and they would say, look what we have done. And the kings would come riding in on war horses because that's what kings rode on. They rode on chariots or war horses because they were rulers. But when Jesus says, go get a donkey or a cult, he's either getting A, an animal that's used in, a, in like a agriculture farming, or he's getting B, a horse that's not yet ready to go to battle. Maybe both. And So while they're using a picture of worship that brings them back to the battles they've won, Jesus is not using that picture intentionally. Like when God is a God of time and timing and he asked them to go get this very specific cult from this house, there is a reason. He's not just like, I just want to see if you guys would do it. Like it it wasn't just like a test. Like he's using this very particularly. And so he's coming into this city on a cult. And you have worship that's happening in this moment. If you can imagine the picture, you've got all these people waving palm branches, throwing cloaks, shouting Hosanna. You have worship from people like his disciples and other followers who actually know what Jesus is about. And then you have worship from people who, are, who don't know what Jesus is about. And they're worshiping him from their own perspective of what a Messiah is might be. You have worship from those who knew Jesus, and worship for those who, as in Jesus' own words, the things remained hidden for them. As he comes into the city, he grieves, and he says, your salvation was hidden from you. Are you with me still? Um, so Jesus tells a parable, in he tells this parable about wheat and tares. How many of you ever heard this parable? In the parable of wheat and tares, you've got a farmer who sows some wheat, and wheat you can eat, you could turn into bread, you could you could sell wheat you could, it's, it, wheat is a is a picture of of uh, of goodness and production and like God's harvest and you have an enemy that comes in and sows weeds or tares into the soil at the same time and the 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 comment from Jesus here is that I'm not going to try to remove the weeds. While they're both in seed form, because if I do that, I will uproot the, the tares and the wheat. It's kind of complicated, but are you with me? He'll, if he tries to uproot the weeds, he'll take out the good stuff too. And so, what Jesus says is, you have to let them both grow up so that the master, then, as they come to fullness of time of harvest, the master can separate the wheat from the tares. We could throw the wheat. into the the fire and let it burn and gather, or throw the tares into the fire and let it burn and gather the wheat. So in this moment, there is recognition of Jesus that is both wheat and tares. There is a recognition of Jesus that's based on what I think the Messiah should be, which is like overthrow Caesar. And there's a recognition of Jesus based on the purity of who he said he was. And the praise and the recognition that that Jerusalem gives him, like think about this. this. This kind of blows our minds as Christians. They praise God. They talk about his miracles. They recognize God, but it did not transform them or protect them. Like that doesn't seem to make sense to us. Like if you've got a group of people praising God, telling about all the wonderful things, why is it that that doesn't transform their lives? Well, Why? Because the worship was focused on utilizing God's power to address their current situation of suffering in their wisdom. They projected their need for a Messiah to overthrow an emperor, whatever it is, they projected their need of the Messiah onto the scene as the preeminent matter of what God's work was at hand. And Jesus rode right before them as they praised Him, and they did not see Him. They saw Him, but they did not see Him. I hope this picture is is like developing... Since, since we started the Lenten journey of prayer, one of the things that we talked about, and if, for everybody who's preached here, I've asked this of them, is we've deliberately tried to make sermons and preaching and discussion not about life application. Like we have not been trying to make it applicable and accessible to every situation in life. What we have been trying to do is present a picture going up to Easter of who Jesus is. Because you can spend your whole life doing exactly what Jerusalem is doing here. Praising God for the miracles and projecting His power onto your suffering and your opportunities. You can spend your whole life talking about the testimony of God, talking about how amazing it is, but all you're trying to do is fit God into the box to fit your situation. Like, that's exactly what Jerusalem is doing here. They're alluding to something that they want him to do in their timing that he's not doing in that timing. God's aim is not to make sense of your problems or your opportunities, but for you to give your life away at any expense that the master wishes. To be like the cult. The cult is my master had need of it. That's what I want to be. I don't want to be, I want to be the donkey. (laughs) In in prayer, there's two aspects of prayer. There's an aspect of prayer where we request God to do things, and there's an aspect of prayer where as we pray, we, our lives are transformed into His image. As we pray through scriptures, our minds are changed about what is true and what is false. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, you could be praying, oh God, like, give me a million dollars, I can pay off all my debt. Or you could be praying in a way that God is reshaping the idea of what stewardship and wisdom looks like. Are you tracking with me? There's formation, and then there's requests. And I believe in requests. But one of the things that we've been focused on in, um, in this time is how do we pray prayers that transform us and not just put on everything on God to just fix all the problems we create. Because it becomes a very it can become a very self-centered spirituality. Occasionally, what really we need is as we mature, is we will find that in our lives we have beliefs about God and beliefs about life that are like wheat and tares. Like things will come up to fullness. And some things that you have in your your journey with God are more like wheat. They're more like weeds than they are like wheat. And sometimes we just need a good burning session. Burn burn the weeds. But, But here's the cool thing is that Jesus didn't come out and confront Jerusalem. He didn't come out and say, well, that's some, that's some very disingenuine worship you were giving me. I will uh, like in the old Jesus, uh, Jesus film dub overs. You guys aren't doing it right. Um, <laughs> he didn't do that. He went in. In fact, when the Pharisees tried to get him to stop, he said, no, even the rocks will cry out. Because only God can sort you out in your life, there are weed there are weeds <laughs> there are wheat and tares, there are things that are will be fruitful, and there are things that are not fruitful. And God will sort you out if you let him. But as the parable says, we can't get him to do that whenever we want. God is a God of time and timing. He waits till even the wheat, even the weeds—gosh, it's struggling for me—even the weeds get full grown before He sorts us out. So I want to finish um, reading to you um, this scripture in the form of lectio divina which means i'm going to read it and i'm going to give some time of silence and as i'm reading this i want you to imagine the holy spirit leading you into one character like like there are different there are different characters that are happening you got the crowd praising you got the disciples watching i told you i wanted to be the donkey like you have all these different um vantage points that are experiencing this and so i'm going to read this to you and as i'm reading it i feel like the holy spirit will highlight to you a vantage point through which you can see the story and i want us to take one or two minutes of silence to see what god might be speaking to us about his time and his timing for our lives so you could close your eyes and when we get done with this time of silence saying is going to lead us in communion um Here we go. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out.